Hi, everybody. My name is Erin, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, I agree with Bruce. I, too, am a spoiled alcoholic. Not as spoiled as Vicky sitting over there, my sponsor, but none, spoiled nonetheless. Um, I wanted to read something out of uh, the big book, out of Dr. Bob's Nightmare, if that's okay. It is a most wonderful blessing to be relieved of the terrible curse with which I was afflicted. My health is good, and I have regained my self-respect and the respect of my colleagues. My home life is ideal, and my business is as good as can be expected in these uncertain times. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. Number one, sense of duty. Two, it is a pleasure Three, because in doing so, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And I wanted to read that because um, I had my first sponsor read that um, when she got up and spoke. I think probably one of the first times I ever heard her share her story when I got sober and I'm not really much of a public crier, but it almost brought me to tears just because by that time I had enough sobriety under my belt to really understand how much AA had already saved my life and how blessed I was to be there and to have an opportunity to continue to stay there. Um, And I realized for me today that part of staying here is passing on what I've learned because if I don't, then I could be depriving somebody who needs it as badly as I did and, and, and still do. And I do need this program just as much now as I did, maybe even more in the beginning. Um, so before I get to that, I'll go back to what it was like before. And, um, you know, before, before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous... Um, like many of us were, I was a hot mess, and um, my drinking progressed, but it was pretty consistent from the first time I ever took a drink. At age 15, I blacked out the first time I ever drank. I distinctly recall talking to somebody at a party and looking at them and saying, oh, when did you get here? And them saying back to me, you've been talking to me for the last 10 minutes. And I thought that was so cool. Wow. Um, You know, and and the other aspect of it that I thought was really cool was that I could escape. Um, I had a parent who, my mom had um, ALS, which is a terminal illness, and she was diagnosed when I was eight. So when I took that first drink at 15, she was already convalesced. She was pretty sick at that point, and... There was a lot of stress in our family, and um, I was more than happy to have something that would give me uh, an out. So I relished in alcohol, and I I sought that oblivion. So the blackout didn't scare me. It encouraged me because, wow, I can, you know, here's something that I can do where I can totally escape from the circumstances that I'm in that make me uncomfortable, So that became my way of coping or not coping. And by the time my mom died at, I was 17, uh, she was 45. 
I was off to the races because now, you know, I have a parent that died and I'm only 17 and I, you know, and my dad got remarried a year later and that was another excuse to drink even more because I couldn't stand stepmom, stepmonster. And, um, you know, I, I, I was pissed at my dad because how could he, you know, marry so quickly and... I went to, um, decided to go to college um, in Chico, California. And I don't know if you know anything about Chico, but you don't go there to get, like, a great education. You go there because it's the biggest party school in California. And I didn't even make it into Chico State. I went to the junior college there. So this kind of shows you where my maturity level was at this point. So... Chico was significant for me because it was the first time that I was truly on my own and, um, I mean, alcohol, it doesn't matter if you're under 21 there. Alcohol is so easily accessible. So at this point, you know, at least before then, because I was so young and still in high school, it was a little harder to get access to it. Well, now, I mean, game on. I can get it any time I want and... Yay, you know, but it, it was, you know, it was it was nightmarish because I, um, you know, I, I was starting to be like that, that popcorn cooker or that kettle that's building up and building up and building up and it's rising over the top just waiting to explode. And what started to happen was I would do my usual blackout drinking and in these blackouts I would have these rages where I would just vomit over anybody who would listen um and I would literally vomit while vomiting um and there were I just couldn't I couldn't contain it because I had started this pattern of not feeling and dousing all of my emotions with alcohol that I didn't I never, I never felt. So they would just, you know, they'd come out in these blackouts. And um, it was also a significant time because I, in that year when I was in school, I did a report on my mom's illness and learned that there was a possibility that our, that my mom had the hereditary strain of ALS, which would have meant that I would have had a 50% chance of inheriting the disease and I went, I really went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. So I learned that on my own and was like, you know, now I have another reason to be even more mad at my dad for keep withholding this information and blib, you know, the, the way that we like to um, blame everybody. So I did that. And that was the first time that I, I was, um, I'll say somewhat suicidal because I don't think I really wanted to die, but I think it was that, that thing we do where we cry for help. And, I, and that was my first visit to the, what I lovingly call the loony bin. And I got to go and stay there. And I remember, I don't think I was ever under the impression that I drank normally. I think on some level I always knew that something wasn't right, but... Um, I think ending up in the loony bin for the first time kind of made me, you know, okay, hmm, made me think a little bit, but 
more than anything, I was just mortified and embarrassed and just wanted to get out there. I didn't think about, you know, how drinking was affecting my life or maybe, you know, I need to stop. It wasn't, it wasn't that, but I definitely was mortified and remember, I mean, my dad coming to pick me up and, you know, here I am walking down the hallway with Jose over here, who's ass was literally hanging out of his hospital gown, you know, and my dad walking this way. And like, I'm no different than Jose. I mean, my butt wasn't hanging out, but like, I'm just, just, I belong here. I'm, you know, I'm, I was crazy, but I was mortified and didn't, didn't, that didn't sink in into my, you know, into my heart. Um, so Needless to say, I did not last in Chico and had to move back home uh, with Dad and Stepmonster, which was very volatile, and um, I would do things like they would leave for the night. I mean, like coming back the same night just to go out like on a date, and I would throw parties before they got home at midnight. Like who... Who does that? Like, at least wait for them to go on an overnight. But I didn't even do that. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can have it all cleaned up. And they would come home. And, of course, now I'm wasted and the house is a mess. And I wasn't drinking. What are you talking about? And then I would blame blame it on them and just crazy behavior. And um, fast forward a couple years later, I had um, this all happened in, in, I grew up in Northern California. I was working in downtown San Francisco, commuting like four hours every day. And, um, I would do stuff like get drunk in the city and miss the commuter bus. Cause they didn't have the commuter bus on the weekends. So I would get stuck on the bus that stopped every five minutes, like lurch, lurch. And I am just, you know, I w- I would be so hungover. And I remember one of the worst times the Renaissance Festival was going on. So all these, like, stinky people in their costumes were coming on and off. And I was, like, just threatening to, you know. And and still, I don't see, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not done, you know. It's just, like, taking these, you know, the, the, the buses back. And I remember getting to where my car was at the park and whatever and not having a key. I cannot tell you how many sets of keys I lost when I was drinking and had to get rekeyed. I can't tell you how many times I had to go to the DMV and get a new ID because I lost my license um, at parties. I lost wallets. I mean, endless times. And um, so after I went through that, um, you know, I was... I was starting to get burned out and I was lying so much to, to people in my hometown. And I was like, I, I need to get out of here. And (laughs) I had a friend who was moving to Atchison, Kansas. Okay. Usually when you do a geographical cure, most of the people I hear do it somewhere cool. Like if you were in Kansas, you would go to California, not the other way around. But my geographical cure was Atchison, Kansas. Now, I don't know if you know much about Atchison, Kansas, but it's like population two people, okay? There's nothing to do there except drink. So my plan didn't work out very well to, you know, change my whole life and be sober and be this, you know, amazing person who could drink properly. And and so hence... 
I moved to Atchison, Kansas, and I know nobody, and I end up in the loony bin for the second time because I just, you know, I'm a hot mess, depression, drinking all the time, can't keep jobs, and um, was renting a house that didn't have a refrigerator or a stove, so I would... um, I worked at Applebee's, so I would take these leftovers and just put them on the windowsill during the winter. Like, and I thought that was brilliant. I'm like, hey, it's like a refrigerator. It's all right. It's right by the window. I can, you know, that'll last a couple days. I mean, you know, just utter insanity. No bed, sleeping on a box spring. Like, it was just, you know, it was, it was pathetic. And the, and the second time I ended up in the loony bin, I had to stay there longer. Um... You know, but still I knew on some level that I wasn't going to quit drinking, but I knew I needed to tell them that because my, when they brought me there, my blood alcohol was some, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like off the charts. And um, so I knew that I would have to lie my way out of it. You know, and it's so funny to me. I've talked to so many alcoholics who think, you know, we think we're so tricky in our lies and the things that we tell people. And it's like, Tricky to who? I mean, you know, the the people at the mental institution don't, they're not, like, really invested in me. And and do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that they're, anyway, I won't get into that. But, um, you know, bottom line is I, you know, I just walked in there. Oh, yes, you know, so-and-so. I think I, I probably have a drinking problem, so... You know, if you release me, I'll go to some AA meetings, I promise. I got out, and I remember um, not many people wanted to talk to me after that because I was the crazy girl who tried to, you know, offer self. um, It was like a house full of of baseball players, and I got banned from the house. And so I didn't, you know, my list of confidants was, was very small, but I remember you know, going over to somebody's house, and they're like, oh, you know, would you like a glass of wine? That might help you feel calm after your experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to make me feel real calm um, after about 20 bottles. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't ready, and I, I upgraded, I say, to Kansas City after that, Kansas City, Missouri, and, you know, after that, it was just years of more of the same, just, you know, just the blackouts and I never um I don't know how I didn't get a DUI I drove drunk all the time I drove in blackouts I ended up places where I had no idea where I was um you know no friends again I held on to a job only because I worked in an industry in the I worked in hotels so everybody else was wasted so I think that's the only reason why I kept my job but um my dad had cut me off by that point. He's, you know, I'm done with you. One of the best things he could have ever done for me. And I was just starting to get real tired because I was lying to so many people and I, the lies were different for each individual person. I was forgetting who I was telling what lies to. Um, you know, I was just getting really tired. So, you know, God just has a, a wonderful sense of humor with me. And um, my cousin, who I lived with in San Francisco, was getting married in Santa Cruz. 
and she asked me to come out and be her maid of honor. Now, why she would choose me to be a maid of honor, I will never to this day understand, because it's not, I mean, usually I think of a maid of honor as somebody, like, with responsibility and someone who actually does something for you in the wedding process, and I did absolutely nothing. And she, you know, and I, plus, logistically, I was in Kansas City, and and she was in Santa Cruz, but I remember her saying to me, Erin, when you come out here, I need you not, I need you not to drink. And I thought, oh, that bitch. How could she, how could she say something like that to me? Well, of course she's going to say something like that to me. She knew, my family knew, everyone who knew me knew I had a drinking, that I was an alcoholic. Everybody knew. So, but it's so funny to me how we're like, oh, how dare they? And um, so what do I do? Well, I flew to Chicago the night before the wedding and went to a Dave Matthews concert and ate a bunch of mushrooms and drank because that's what you do when you're an alcoholic. And then I flew out to Santa Cruz. Um, I was late to the rehearsal. I was hungover, and um, I soon realized why she told me not to drink because everybody, including the groom in the wedding party was in AA or NA, and they were all my age. So, you know, here's where God, I just, you know, I love hearing people's stories of how they get sober because, I mean, for me, in my story, that's an aha moment right there because I was 24, and one of my last excuses was I'm too young to be an alcoholic. So what that the pattern was the same from the time I picked up to the the drink, you know. I mean, it never got better. And um, I was like, I'm too young. There's no way, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at all these people who are my age and they're laughing and they're productive and they've been in a relationship longer than, like, you know, 24 hours. Some of them even have kids. And, you know, and they're talking about stuff that, that's serious, but they're laughing. And I'm like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it, it was just that right timing. It was God's right timing. I was just tired enough, just sick enough, that I wanted what those, what those people had. And... Um, I had to hook up with the best man, you know, because, so he, you know, and, and we ended up talking the whole night about recovery and, you know, I mean, all I can say is it was God working in my life, doing for me what I could not do for myself because it was the first time that I got honest with my dad. You know, when I first arrived, I told him, Gave him the usual BS. Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fantastic. I'm great. And, you know, that next day I said, Dad, I'm not doing well. I was in the loony bin again. I, you know, and I started to tell him not everything, but enough to, to be honest with him. And I said, I need help. But I'm, I want to go back to Kansas City because I feel like, you know, that's where, that's, that's where I went to. That's where... You know, I had been living for about three years. I, I, want to, I need to go back there and do this. And um, it just so happens I was supposed to get a ride home from the best man, but ended up with my aunt, who had been in recovery at that time about 20 years in the car, in, in AA. 
And so I got to, you know, have a whole nother couple hours of just asking her questions about AA and her recovery. And um, when I got back to Kansas City, I called up a, a therapist that I had, and I just said, you know what, you know, another one that I lied to that I thought I was so tricky with, who would always, okay, do you think you might want to go to AA? Oh, no, I don't need that. And I, and I called her up, and I said, yeah, I remember that suggestion you made. Do you know somewhere I can go? And, and I went, and I've been going ever since. And, um, you know, when I went to that first meeting, I, I felt at home. You know, I mean, I, I had reached such a thick, solid, good bottom that um, I was done. And I'm so grateful for it um, because I was at home and I knew it. And, and I was desperate and I got a sponsor right away and I still made some really stupid decisions like going to um, New Orleans maybe 60 days in the program, uh, was told by everybody in my home group, you're an idiot. If you go, don't do it. I did it anyway. I stayed sober on sheer, you know, irritation, really, because I was miserable because I was with somebody who was drinking the entire time and, and I wasn't, and it was a horrible place to be. But, you know, aside from the stupid stuff, I, you know, the suggestions my sponsor gave me, you know, as far as working the steps and calling her and doing all that, I did it, man. I wanted to stay sober. If she would have told me to lick the wall to stay sober, I would have done it. I mean, that was just my, my level of desperation. And she was, she was perfect for me at that time because I, um, I did not need anybody else patting me on the head saying, you poor little thing. So sorry. Your mom died. Come here. Let me, you know, enable you to death. She was like, all right, you want me to be your, your sponsor? Then you need to show me, you need to prove it to me first. And she made me do some things before she would work the steps with me. And I did them because I wanted what she had. And, um, you know, I, I've always had a healthy fear, I think, of what's waiting for me if I don't do what I need to do in this program. And that's why I read this because I need to share. I need to do service work. I need to go to meetings. I need to talk to my sponsor. I still need to do all these things today. And I shared in a meeting a while ago that I sponsored somebody who told me that she was a low maintenance alcoholic and that she didn't need meetings. She, she could work the steps, but she didn't need to go to meetings. And I'm like, okie dokie. Um, I'm a high-maintenance alcoholic. There's a lot of things that I need to do to make sure my recovery is in balance. It's always been that way. And sometimes I've gotten irritated by that because I've just wanted to maybe not work so hard in the program. Um, you know, and, and one of the favorite sayings of that same sponsor I had was she would say something to me like, how's that working for you? Okay. Throw your tantrum. You don't, you want to coast a while? Sure. How's that working for you? And I'd be like, Ugh, fine. Um, but you know what? It's a good marker. You know, how's that working for you? Okay, well, it's not working. So I need to, you know, I need to do what works. And those are the things that work for me. And I feel blessed. I mean, I was the baby in my AA group. And um, when I was 
nine years sober we moved out here and uh you know i i we <laughs> i came out first um my husband came before I did, and then I came out to visit first. And I remember my first AA meeting in Arizona. I'm like, these people do not know what the F they're doing. This is the worst AA I've ever been to in my entire life. And I went back and, like, reported this to my group in Kansas City and to my sponsor. Very matter. That their AA is crazy. And she's like, oh, so you're the AA uh, president? You're, so you know how to run AA throughout the country? And I was like, okay, I get your point. I get the message. And, um, you know, I had a lot of things to learn out here, and I still do. And, and one of the biggest things I think I learned was um, that I'm not the baby anymore. You know, my sobriety date is July 1st of 2000, and I'm not the baby anymore. You know, I need to reach out, and I need to start, you know, mother henning a little bit. Um, not in an enabling way, but you know what I'm trying to say. And um, I have one of the best sponsors on the entire planet here. She was my my God thing, and I have friends right around the corner from me. And, you know, God's been good to me, and, and I have women that I sponsor. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love um, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And so... When somebody reaches out the hand of AA, whether asking that I speak or asking to be of love and service, then I was told, unless I have a really, really good reason to say no, that I need to say yes. And I'm okay with that because I'm selfish. I like the benefits. I like staying sober. I have so much more to lose today than I did when I first came in. I've got a husband who's in the program. I have babies who are in the program they hold little um alcoholics anonymous meetings with their stuffed animals it's fantastic um they do give them chips it's great um my oldest has asked me if she can um be an alcoholic and i tell her i hope not but i you know i know of a place you can go if you if you do need it karen and i have had many talks that she might qualify for something later on but anyway you know I mean I have a a wonderful I have a wonderful life I have what my friend Mindy would call luxury problems and that's it and I try not to complain about those but I am human and I'm an alcoholic and I think we're very neurotic and um and I love that about us I love our common little idiosyncrasies and you know, that's why I need the meetings. I need, the, I need to be at meetings to share experience, strength, and hope, but I need the meetings to remind myself of how much I need you guys because I do, like I said today, more than ever. So thank you for letting me be of love and service and share at your group. All right.